Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Conversations on issues impacting Californians of all ages. Here's your host, Theon Gordon. Welcome to In Clear Terms with AARP California. Join us as we dive into issues and policies that impact Californians of all ages, particularly older adults. I am an AARP volunteer and your host, Dr. Theon Gordon. Today, we will talk with David Azevedo, Associate Director for AARP California, who leads AARP's California's utility advocacy work. We will learn how AARP, a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization that works on behalf of 3.3 million members in California, is working to ensure older adults and people of all ages are protected from unreasonable utility rate hikes. David, thank you for joining us today. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me on. Well, I am excited to jump right into this because as a Californian, I have felt a rate hike. And so I think we need to start with a really important question just so that we're clear. Can you talk us through the basics of utility companies? Many people think only about utility companies when they look at their bill or have issues with their power, but are there different types of utility companies and and how do they operate? Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Happy to dive right in. It's definitely one of these topics that I know for me as a podcast listener, I always appreciate it when I get these complex topics really broken down into clear terms. So really happy to be on and and kind of help uh, shed a light on this. So Right, exactly. Utilities are this kind of major force in our lives. We wouldn't have the energy infrastructure and all of the invisible things that deliver our energy if it weren't for really what are utility monopolies in California. For over 100 years, utilities have been building, maintaining the grid infrastructure, making sure that every time you flip on a light switch, you get your light. And every time you turn on your stove, you get your gas or your electric stove turned on. And so they really are this, to many degrees, an unsung hero in the comfortability of our lives. So utilities really, in clear terms, are power providers. They're the ones delivering this electricity and gas, and they're the ones you pay on your bills, whether you like it or not. And really, a lot of that money does go to the idea that it's expensive to build and maintain the electric and gas grid, especially back in the day, over 100 years ago, when a lot of our laws and our codes and our regulating system was built and adopted, it made sense to centralize to an extent and monopolize these services. And really the types of utilities that exist, the biggest ones are what are known as investor-owned utilities. You might hear people floating around the acronym IOUs. So investor-owned utilities or IOUs, the three biggest ones are Pacific Gas and Electric, which we'll talk a lot about today. They're the biggest utility investor-owned utility in the state. They serve most of Northern California, parts of Central Coast, parts of the Northern Central Valley. Then there's the San Diego Gas and Electric Company, or SDG&E, and then Southern California Edison in the kind of Los Angeles region. And there's also public utilities too, like the Sacramento, I think, Metropolitan Utility District, or SMUD, as folks like to call it there. 
Public utilities often have an elected accountability where the people who run it are actually elected by the ratepayers versus investor-owned utilities. The people who run those utilities are held accountable by regulators like the California Public Utilities Commission, which we're going to talk a lot about pretty soon here. But really, ultimately, what I kind of wanted to get across is that these utilities are our legacy kind of systems that have built so much of our invisible infrastructure that delivers our power. But we're at this moment of tremendous change for how power is created. In some cases, you know, people installing solar, right, are kind of creating their own power. And even the big companies themselves, like PG&E, they're transitioning to different energy sources themselves and also uh, dealing with wildfires. And that's what we're going to talk a lot about today, too, I think, is the idea that it's expensive to really prepare for wildfires because wildfires themselves are expensive and their damages so to both life and property so i guess that's a good primer there that gives us a great primer so we have public utility companies we have investor owned and then there's monopolies and usually when we hear Monopoly, we talk about the game Monopoly. You know, you want to own everything and it doesn't always seem to be a good thing. So let's have a, a little bit of a follow up on that. If they're monopolies, how are they regulated and how are they held accountable? Yes, great point. So they're all monopolies. That's the legacy, right? That's the trade off that we made is that we kind of signed this social contract with utilities over 100 years ago that. As long as they give us the power and keep building it and maintaining it, we will let them have their monopoly. And their primary regulation is through the California Public Utilities Commission or the CPUC. It's composed of five governor appointed commissioners. They regulate not only energy such as electricity and fossil gas, but also transportation, telecommunications and broadband and water utilities. And how they regulate them primarily, and this is what we're here to talk about today, too, are through what's known as general rate cases. And these are proceedings that are very technical, very complex, but they directly affect your bill because these are proceedings in which every utility goes to the California Public Utilities Commission. And by every utility, I really mean the investor-owned utilities. So they go to the commission and they say, hey, we need to raise our rates because we need to do X, Y, Z. And the CPUC basically through what can be a very long process in the general rate case, many, many years, and through several phases, will determine how much they can raise that rate. Because ultimately, another part of our social contract we've signed with utilities over the 100 years plus is this thing called the rate of return. So basically, the trade-off is utilities get a designated rate of return on how much they could make so that they can put that into what they say are you know, maintenance and building new systems and whatnot. And that's a very simplistic kind of way to describe that. I know that the more energy nerds might have a little bit more to say there, but just for the purposes of the in clear terms part of the podcast, the general rate case is where these utilities go to ask for a certain amount of money to charge ratepayers for their services that they provide. Now, I want to ask about these commissioners. Are they appointed commissioners? Where do the commissioners come from? Who are these commissioners? Five people. Can I find them and ask them to lower my bill? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, they are governor appointed. So the accountability there is that the governor of the state, in this case, Governor Newsom, and then previous governors too, because some appointees have served over from Governor Brown, and I think the previous one, 
Governor Schwarzenegger. But essentially, these are five appointees. So they could be five consumer appointees. They're not necessarily in the energy business, but they look at these particular topics. They typically are from the industry. It's a very industry-driven kind of process, but there is that kind of consumer, I think, responsibility that when the governor appoints them, that they're looking out for consumers. So why is AARP involved in this issue? Yes. Well, we represent consumers. I mean, we are a consumer advocate, if not one of the biggest consumer advocates in the state. You know, we have 3.3 million members here and all of them are ratepayers, right? And at the end of the day, rate increases disproportionately affect people who are lower income and those on fixed incomes. And by fixed incomes, we're thinking about the folks who are on Social Security and pensions. And as we all know, especially this past year, inflation is just really hurting us. And that's just on top of the pandemic and all of the crazy economic pressures that we're facing. And really, particularly in California, where cost of living is very, very high. And so these rate increases that we're talking about, and we can get into this pretty soon, I think, you know, PG&E is asking in their general rate case that AARP is involved with. PG&E is asking for, by 2026, a 39% rate increase on your electric bill. That is a lot of money. (laughs) Yes. So let's talk about Pacific Gas and Electric, PG&E. From what I understand, they're the biggest utility company in California. And so since they're asking for this rate increase on their customers, that means they're going to impact the most people in California when we talk about this and all eyes are on this rate case. How much is PG&E asking for and how does it affect the customers in particular in terms of some of the other things that are impacting us as well in terms of the wildfires? Is that one of the things we talk about the wildfires and the floods that happen in California and how those things impact us just as much as this pandemic has How does this affect us? What are they asking for? And just share a little bit more about that. Sure. So Pacific Gas and Electric, you know, to their credit, they really are, again, the legacy system that we have in California that's providing our electric and gas. Now, that is really kind of where the end where I give them credit because they have unfortunately kind of shown over the many years, especially in recent years, that their maintenance of the grid has proven disastrous and in some cases deadly. And we saw that with the campfire in the town of Paradise, California, that resulted in the loss of life for I think 85 people and Paradise really in particular, that was a much older community than average in California. And so these were AARP members, these were older adults that were directly affected by the actions and lack of maintenance and planning for wildfires of Pacific Gas and Electric. And really that's important to keep in mind here because Pacific Gas and Electric is turning to the CPUC and by extension to ratepayers saying, we need this increased amount. We need this 39% on your electric bill, this 56% on your gas bill to help us prepare for wildfires. Well, and <laughs> I mean, you do, I think, want to be fair and to say, You are the legacy system. You're the thing that we're depending on to keep us safe and to keep the power on. So we should invest where we can accordingly. But it's tough to give money and to have faith in PG&E 
if they have this history of not preparing, because we, we have known that wildfires would get worse. We've known for many, many years. And so that's just the kind of thing that's at stake here. And still 39% on electric, and you said 56% on gas. Well, we know the gas prices have been going up, but this just sounds astronomical. PG&E says it needs this money so that they can put in transmission lines underground. And of course, they're saying this has to do with wildfires. They want to put the lines underground so that it doesn't start wildfires. Isn't this a good idea? I mean, do the consumers kind of need to bite the bullet on this one? That's where we get a little confused. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that. So we think, so PG&E, you're right, is kind of posing this choice of you have to pay us this enormous amount of money to underground or to basically take overhead wires, which is really the wires that deliver power all across the state. They want to be able to underground that, particularly in what's known as high fire threat districts. And so those are the districts, of course, that are experiencing higher risk of fire. We saw like, you know, North Coast, like Sonoma in particular, had two pretty horrible fire seasons in the last five years, pretty close together. But essentially, they're making that pitch that we need to raise rates this much to underground all of these overhead lines. And what we found in our testimony, and I'm happy to link this to the show notes if that's a possibility, but we submitted testimony as a party of record in this rate case or an advocate in this rate case for consumers. So AERP believes PG&E is presenting a false binary choice that their customers must pay almost $100 billion over the next 40 years or continue to experience wildfires. AERP estimates that the average cost to underground the first 10,000 miles of power lines in these high fire threat districts to be $68,000 per customer in that district. And this figure doesn't even include PG&E's still unidentified cost amount to underground the remaining 15,000 miles of overhead power lines, which are in high fire threat districts. We therefore believe that such spending is not only economically irresponsible, it is also a type of capital spending, which allows PG&E to increase its profits. This means that PG&E has a financial incentive to choose this most expensive option, regardless of whether its customers benefit. So what are some of the alternative ways so that it can save consumers in some aspect and maybe change PG&E's mind in others? PG&E is already mitigating wildfire risks in some ways imperfectly, and also in some ways with some promising practices that could scale and achieve both safety and savings to ratepayers. The most imperfect mitigation method are the public safety power shutoffs, in which power is cut to customers in areas where wildfire risks are high. This could happen perhaps in extreme heat events or high wind speed events or a combination of both. You know, ARP has major concerns with this program, the power safety shutoffs, just given how Power could be a life or death situation for customers on plug-in medical devices or for customers that are at risk for heat-related illnesses. So to talk a little bit more about the promising practices, though, there are two that we looked at. One is called the Remote Grid Program, and the other is the Line Elimination Program. And these are really interesting for a couple of reasons, especially since at the end of the day, 7.6% of PG&E's customers are located in high-fire threat districts. These are mostly rural, expansive areas of the state. So getting power to those customers is a challenge. And so is maintaining the safety of those transmission lines when you're looking at hotter, drier wildfire risks. 
So one promising program that PG&E could scale up is this remote grid program in which PG&E eliminates long distribution lines and instead installs what are called distributed energy resources, which in many cases are just solar panels and battery systems installed at each residence or a group of residences. This installation of resources that both produce and store power for these customers eliminates the need for overhead power lines that go across long distances to deliver that power across this wildfire risky terrain. And a similar program is called the Line Elimination Program, is in which PG&E effectively buys out really, really rural customers. And that funding is used by the customer to purchase their own solar equipment or other power resources. It's interesting, whether we're talking about health or utilities, prevention is better than intervention, but it doesn't seem as though that clicks in people's minds. We have to get PG&E to understand maintenance would actually help us in that. Let's talk a little bit more about the expenses in terms of these utilities. Is it all from the wildfires? Is that what the money really is would be used for? Or is there something else? Wildfire prevention absolutely is part of that. But of course, general rate cases, there is a very valid line of argument that pg is making, which is it is expensive to maintain the system. It's also expensive to build out and develop more renewable sources of energy and storage, which is something that the California state legislature and the governor have you know, made priorities for the state. And frankly, you know, the population of California, too, wants to see a transition to cleaner, renewable energy. But that costs money. And Pacific Gas and Electric has made that statement that they are committed to those same priorities. But again, that is going to be part of an energy transition that does cost a fair amount of investment. So that's all part of it, too. And we do, as a party in this rate case, want to be very fair and to say, you know, these general rate cases happen every several years. There is a certain amount that PG&E should be able to ask for since they are the legacy system providing such a service to residents. But for things like wildfires, where there are cheaper, more affordable options that aren't going to, at the end of the day, egregiously raise rates for all of their customers, We just have to find a more affordable way forward. And because PG&E is the largest, do you see this as something that may come up in a trickle down type of way for some of the other utility companies? I personally have Southern Cal Electric. So would the same trickle down theory come into the other utility companies? Absolutely. I'm glad you asked that question because they're really in the American West where You have all of these utilities that are serving customers in, frankly, all the American West is a high fire threat district, especially as we're seeing really longer droughts, longer extreme heat events and longer, hotter, drier summers. So all of these transmission lines are going through these high fire regions through several states. And so PG&E is really the test case. And all of the utilities that are serving customers in really growing parts of the American West, too. I mean, there's There's a lot of concern, right, because we're building out in drier places and places that are closer to wildfire risk. You know, there is a concern that if we're not doing if we're not thinking about safety for the electric grid and how it could start wildfires, we could really be seeing a problem, you know, in the near future or already as we're seeing. So that does cost a fair amount of money. And what utilities are looking here at PG&E is saying, how much can PG&E get in this rate case? Can they get 
the full amount that they're asking for here, this 39%, can they sell the CPUC on undergrounding all 10,000 miles of these transmission lines? So what happens in this case is really going to directly impact ratepayers, not just in PG&E, but across the American West. Wow, that is incredible. I can't believe that type of impact and that type of increase, especially when we're heading into such inflationary times. My other question for you has to do with this idea of renewable energy. How does solar play a role in this? Sure. So in the case of um, actually what PG&E is already doing to prepare for wildfires at a more cost affordable way versus undergrounding, there are situations where you're in a high fire threat district. And so they talk about transmission lines. It's just lines. So there are neighborhoods in high fire threat districts that PG&E is saying, we're not going to build a transmission line to your neighborhood or to your home. We're just going to pay for your solar. We're going to actually just say, we're not going to connect you because that increases wildfire risk. So here's a battery. Here's some solar panels. And they're already doing that. It's not at a very high scale, to my understanding, but this is an example of, you know, you're, you're talking about solar installations where I've seen figures anywhere from 80000 to 120000 per house versus the amount of money that we're looking at for the undergrounding in, into the tens of hundreds of billions, right? And the cost per customer there is way higher. And so, you know, you do have solar playing a role. Absolutely. And and that's something that we're monitoring because it is something that AARP members have reached out to us saying that they're interested in that. But it's AARP is a consumer organization, not a energy organization. So we still have a lot of learning to do on the issue, but we know it's an important issue to many of our members. Are there other options that AARP members and consumers can look at to decrease their utility bills? Yes. So actually, there are programs that are available, and I'm happy to link in the show notes a couple of them. If you do meet certain income thresholds, you can qualify for what I think is known as the CARE program. And I think LIHEAP is another program that's available that's, I think, federally managed. But these are two really great programs for people who are seeking relief at certain income levels on their electric bill. And then You know, if you're a homeowner, there are a lot of great rebates out there that your utility might be able to help you out with. I know that I'm a ratepayer, for example, at in SMUD here in Sacramento, and they've got some really fantastic rebates for a conversion from a gas to electric water heater. I know just personally that saved me a lot of money. And there are things like weatherization programs and weatherization is kind of a fancy word for making sure your home is keeping in the the heat during the cold months and keeping in the cool air during the hot months, things that you can do kind of in your attic or in your walls or dual pane windows. And then of course, upgrading appliances. I mean, that's kind of unfortunately something that at ARP we're actively monitoring because unfortunately renters don't have the same access to appliance upgrades that homeowners do and rebates also associated with that because renters are sort of at the mercy of landlords with a lot of the appliances that they have, but appliances end up being, can really increase your rates, especially if it's not in a home that's weatherized or prepared or insulated properly. And so that's something that we're looking and and hoping that, you know, folks at the California State Legislature lead on of how we can help renters in that case. 
But if you're a homeowner, there are a lot of programs out there for you to lower your rates by upgrading appliances with rebates, weatherizing your home, and even looking into something like solar too. This is fantastic. Those are all great ways to help us save. And I know I'll look into some of those. I just recently had new windows put in and the reduction of heat that's been coming in has really helped to keep my air conditioner off a lot longer than it had been. So I know those are wonderful things that we can take a look at, the weatherization, appliance upgrades, rebates, and I'm considering looking at solar. I don't quite understand how it works, but we'll have someone come and make that clear in clear terms as well. I wanted to ask you one more question, and that question evolves around this idea of tiers. Are you familiar with the tiers in terms of the utility companies and especially with electric, that there's certain tiers that you oh like time of use use your electric at certain times i think it has to do with time yeah can you give us a little insight into that because i think that was another way of saving or cost savings absolutely yeah so what you're talking about is um could be known as time of use rate yeah so for example in the summertime a lot of utility companies will communicate to their customers Hey, we're going to we're going to raise your rates of electricity usage during certain peak hours. So these are the peak hours are typically from I know here at Smud it's 5 to 8. I think in PG&E and San Diego Gas and Electric it's actually 4 to 9. But these are these hours where the utility company is saying a lot of people have their air on, a lot of people are trying to stay cool. And so that is a demand on the electric grid. And so a lot of these utility companies are saying, well, we need to pay for it. And we need to pay for additional electric capacity to come online so that we all don't get blacked out and lose power. So these are these rates where, you know, they can really, if you have your AC on at 68, they can really mess up your bill. And so you do want to be very careful. Unfortunately, this is happening again at the hottest time of the day. So doing things such as, you know, maybe running your AC right up until the peak hour so that your home is just a little chillier, that could be potentially useful. Even doing activities outside of your home, if you can at that time or find a cooler place or or whatnot during that period of time. I always like cooking on the barbecue in the summer because that's not using my stove, my electric stove and heating up the house too. That's one way to save and keeping all the lights off. But it's something to keep an eye out for. And if you haven't, if you're not familiar with that, you can always look on your utilities website. There's generally a part that says how much you're paying per hour at these peak times. And you also want to look out because you're right to call them tiers because there's the peak, which is the most expensive. And sometimes there's like a mid peak, which is still kind of pricey. And then there's the low peak. So I know that the mornings are always like the low peak. So if you're in the morning and if you have that time or always try to do your laundry, at the low peak, always try to do your dishwashing if you have a dishwasher and all the kind of power and energy needs in the mornings because that will be the lowest amount in your peak use. That makes it a lot clearer for me. And it's a time of use program. And I did read that it was tears, but time of use makes so much more sense. You use your energy when it costs the least amount of money. I love that. How can the public get involved? What can we do to help combat these increases? 
Sure. So there's many ways. So I can also link in the show notes ways for you to sign up for our e-activist email listserv. So we send out periodically communications to our members of this listserv, of this newsletter, essentially, that says, here's how you can get involved. Here's the people you can call who are making decisions on things like this, your elected officials and whatnot. That's the easiest way that I can kind of just share how you can get involved with AERP. And then there's also an opportunity at the CPUC, and this is another thing I can link to, where you yourself can at any time submit a public comment if you're a PGD customer to this general rate case that we've been talking about, the ones that want to raise your rates by 39%. So you can, if you're a PGD customer, you can comment at any time online, and I can send a link there in the show notes to help with that. And of course, just staying in touch with AARP because this is a long process. This is just phase one of the general rate case that we're in. There's going to be a second phase. These are very long, drawn out, very technical and very detailed. But that's really where I think there's this is the opportunity to tell as many of our members as possible uh, so that, you know, the CPUC hears from you uh, because the CPUC typically doesn't hear much from the members of the public because the CPUC is this very little known organization. Uh, you don't really think of them, right? And so that's kind of the opportunity is, the, is a way for you to get involved and to show that you're paying attention and that you want the CPUC to make sure that utilities like PG&E are being fair about how they provide energy at affordable rates. So tell me, where can people actually see or find how to submit testimony for the CPUC? Sure. So one of the best ways is to get familiar and contact the Public Advocates Office, which actually is part of the CPUC. They're known as Cal Advocates, and you can access their website at publicadvocates.cpuc.ca.gov. There, they should be able to help you out in filing a comment because it can be a pretty technical endeavor <laughs> to, to file a comment our government. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then, of course, the CPUC website is a great place to, if you just Google CPUC pg rate case, they'll have more information about the rate case there too. That's great. So to submit testimony, we can go to publicadvocates.cpuc.ca.gov. We can Google the PG&E rate case. And of course, we can always go to aarp.org forward slash get involved to get updates and other information on advocacy of this particular topic. David, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of In Clear Terms with AARP California. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? No, just thank you so much for this opportunity. More than happy to talk anytime about utilities as technical and complex as they are, because again, such an important part of our lives, keeping cool in the hot summer and keeping the lights on and doing it at an affordable rate. That's such an important part of AARP's work, especially for older adults here in California. So happy to always talk about it. Well, you certainly helped to put it in clear terms for us, and we'll be happy to have you back so we can get a little deeper dive into some of the other utility companies, perhaps. So thank you so much. You've shared some really important information and I know our listeners will be grateful. Once again, if you are a PG&E customer, you can provide testimony by visiting publicadvocates.cpuc.ca.gov. 
That's publicadvocates.cpuc.ca.gov. If you want to learn more about AARP's fight against rate hikes, visit aarp.org forward slash California or forward slash CA. aarp.org forward slash CA. In future episodes, we look forward to hosting experts who shed light on critical issues in our state, how AARP California is working to ensure the voices of those ages 50 plus is heard, and how you, our listeners, can learn more and act on these important decisions in clear terms. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.